So the reading today is from Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18, and it's found on page uh, 1184 in the Church Bibles. So yeah, that's uh, Colossians 4, 7 to 18, 1184 in the Bibles. Final greetings. Tychicus will tell you all about all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the per- express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Anisimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you, and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. May 1940. German forces sweeping through Belgium to northern France. And uh, the newly elected Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, orders the evacuation of as many Allied troops as possible back to Britain from Dunkirk. May the 20th, Operation Dynamo is launched with the Nazis fast approaching and uh, they estimate that they can rescue around 45,000 Allied troops. That's the, that's the goal. And May the 26th, it's a national day of prayer. King George VI Uh, attends a service in Westminster Abbey where the Archbishop of Canterbury leads the people for prayers for our soldiers in dire peril in France. On the first day, less than 8,000 soldiers are rescued. And after two days of rescue, that had risen to 25,000 troops saved, but still way less than the the target of 45,000. And at this point, the vision is expanded. And a call is uh, offered throughout the whole of the British Isles for any and every uh, sailing boat to head down to Dunkirk. Every available uh, uh, ship piloted by civilians, get yourself down to Dunkirk and help with the evacuation. Uh, Initially, 400 small boats uh, signs up uh, to help and the number of those rescued begins to rise. Eventually, 933 Boats help with the great evacuation of Dunkirk. Private yachts, lifeboats, little sailing boats, paddle steamers. And in just eight days, the number rescued isn't 45,000, but 338,226 men rescued from the shores of Dunkirk. What an amazing Herculean effort rescuing the lost when the call went out. Well, if you are inspired by the rescue of Dunkirk, then my goodness me, we have an amazing calling before us. Not just the rescue of soldiers from the advancing troops, but the rescue of men and women, boys and girls from the dominion of darkness 
into relationship with Jesus Christ. Eternity that lasts forever, as we saw uh, this morning. But that will take a Herculean effort to get the job done. And maybe you're here thinking, you know, I'd rather it got done by someone else. I'd rather sit back and watch and cheer and celebrate when the victory has been won on the last day. But have I got a part to play? I've been uh, thinking and praying about what to speak on uh, this evening. And uh, I thought a great place to speak into the topic of being together for gospel growth, which is the theme of our message tonight, is this list of names at the end of Colossians chapter 4. It's... um, We don't often study these kind of passages. I think it's worth reminding ourselves these parts of the Bible as well as the famous passages that we study in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's all inspired, it's all God's word and I am convinced that God has a very important message for us this evening from uh, these verses. And I think the key message is that everyone has a role in the work of gospel growth. Every single one of us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a role for you. Uh, You may be uh, the sailor of a tiny little sailboat, or a paddle steamer, or a lifeboat, or an enormous uh, frigate. Anyone, everyone is needed to get the job done, and there's a place for you in it. Up front, behind the scenes, however, wherever, there's a role for you to play. So as we talk, as we are doing at the moment, about church planting in particular, it might be tempting to think, well, that's happening over there, and all the action's over there. That's not really me. I'm not going to get involved in it. Well, it may be that you're not directly, but indirectly. This is going to affect us all as Highfield Church, and there's a part for us all to play in that. And in regards of your background, or your age, or your stage, or your sex, or your strength, or your weaknesses, God wants us all to be involved in the work of gospel growth. That's the big message, I think, of Colossians chapter 4. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a flyover of these uh, verses and then we're going to um, focus in on just a few characters and try and draw some lessons. And uh, we've got a handout for the youngsters. If you didn't get a handout, there were some at the back and uh, you might want to kind of fill in the blanks on the sheet as you go. So we've got a list of greetings and uh, we're going to go through it and uh, let me just, let me see where the map works. Oh, there we are. Can you see that on the screen? Just about. Yeah, great. So scene set, you've got Paul. He is in Rome under house arrest, we think. So if you've got your Bibles, worth having a Bible open and we'll occasionally look on the screen, but we're going to focus in on, um, on uh, a few key characters. So Paul, verse 18 says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, uh, he may well have dictated a lot of his letter to a scribe. He makes sure that this is clearly his letter. It's being signed off by him, unmistakable signature. And he's writing uh, almost certainly in Rome. And the Colossian church that he's writing to is, um, uh, there it is, it's over there, about a thousand miles away in modern Turkey. And uh, there you are, you'll just about see it uh, uh, between Rome and Colossae, you'll find Ephesus, which is somewhere there on the west of Turkey, Philippi in the north of Greece. And it's during uh, Paul's time in Rome that he writes to a bunch of different churches. And uh, that's why we see some similarities between the Ephesian letter and the Philippian letter and the Colossian letter. Uh, well, chapter 4, verse 7 to 18, uh, there are kind of three groups of people, which we're just going to kind of quickly look at and then we'll dive in in a bit more detail. So uh, verses 7 to 9 we get Paul's postman and uh, they are Tychicus and Onesimus. They're the ones chosen 
important role this to be the postman to deliver the letter that Paul has got to send from Rome over to Colossae. Have a look at verse 7. Tychus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear uh, brother. And then let's jump down to verse 8. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. And uh, so there they are. Now, the people who are near Mark, so that's the first group, the postman. Next group is a bunch of people who are near Paul as he writes. Okay, And they are, maybe you can see on the screen, but they're in verses 10 to 14, we read about people called Aristarchus and Mark and Jesus Justus and Epaphras and Luke and Demas. And all six of these people who are around Paul in the Rome area, send their greetings to the Colossian church. It's the, they're the kind of people who hear that you're on the phone to people on the other side of the world and they kind of jump in on the call and say, hi, say hi from me, say hi from me. They want to send their greetings across. And uh, we'll come back to uh, Epaphras in verse 13. Uh, we're told uh, in verse 13, Epaphras is one of you, sends greetings. He is always resting in prayer for you. I vouch for him, this is verse 13, look down, that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. So you can see those bunch of people over in Rome. And then there's some other places which are much closer to Colossae. These two places called these two places called Hierapolis and Laodicea over in the, the, um, the east. And uh, they're two uh, close towns, there are close links up between them. And those churches do things together and they communicate with each other, which we'll come on to in a little bit. So you've got the postmen, you've got the people who are close to Paul in Rome, and then you've got a bunch of people over there in Colossae who are far away from Paul. And uh, uh, who, who do we see there? We see people called Nympha and Archippus. And the church you know, in Laodicea, it's hosted by a woman called Nympha. She's uh, the, the life group leader there in, uh, in Laodicea. And then Paul tells the Colossians to send their letter on to Laodicea and uh, to swap it for the letter to the Laodiceans. Now, we don't have the letter to the Laodiceans in our Bibles. And some people think, oh, that's a bit weird. Is the Bible incomplete? And one day we're going to go digging around uh, Turkey and, oh, we found the letter to the Laodiceans. This is the complete word of God. And it can't be added to or taken away from. uh, But it does remind us that Paul did say and do and write stuff down that wasn't always inspired. But this stuff is entirely, okay? So just because he wrote it down doesn't mean it's automatically inspired. And the Laodiceans, maybe off day, I don't know, the Holy Spirit wasn't inspiring that one, but he was inspiring the Colossian letter. Anyway, so we've got Nympha, we've got Archippus, and uh, have a look at Archippus. I I love Archippus, verse 17. This is a cracker. Uh, See to it, he's, he's out there in Colossae. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I always feel sorry for Archippus. Uh, the fact is that clearly Paul gave him a job to do uh, and uh, he wants to check up that he's doing the job he's been asked to do. Um, but rather than you or I might say, oh, have you got the job done? He actually 
inscripturated the instruction to ask, have you got the job done? I mean, imagine that. I mean, walk into church and carved into a brick within the church building. Did Dave get the job done? You know, well, who knows whether Archivist got the job done? We can ask him in heaven, along with lots of other people. Did you get the job done? We all want to know the answer to that. Um, well, th- there it is. That's the kind of flyover. And there are some people who we want to get to know just a little bit more. And we're going to focus on five characters in particular and uh, try and apply it as we go and see how gospel growth is a team game. It involves us all. And here's the first spotlight. So four spotlights that we're going to see. Spotlight on Paul. Gospel growth is a team game. That's the big lesson, and that's the most important lesson, I suppose, tonight. Gospel growth is a team game. You may have heard the joke that was doing the rounds several years ago now, the three Welsh teams in the Premier League, Cardiff, Swansea, Gareth Bale. And, uh, and that, I guess, is the case whenever Bale retired now, but when he used to play for Wales, all the obsession was on what Gareth Bale was doing. I think, again, it was several years ago when... Uh, uh, Wales were playing Serbia in a qualifier and they were losing 3-0 at home and the, there were as many cameras on Gareth Bale sitting on the bench as they were on the pitch. They were just wanting to watch what Gareth Bale was up to at the time. So instrumental in the delivery of Wales' success. But it's not just in football, of course. It could be in lots of different areas. Maybe you've got a, a really significant founder of a company and that person is forevermore attached to that company, whether it's Bill Gates and uh, Microsoft or Steve Jobs and Apple. And when those leaders finish, you know, people talk about succession and how that works. And a good company needs a team. A good church needs a team. It's vitally important. And I guess there are different dangers according to the kind of church that you may be. If you're a really, really big church, there's a danger of the celebrity pastor. And we can maybe think of uh, celebrity pastors, people who kind of are on the big podcast. They, they, they kind of speak at all the big conferences. They've got loads and loads, ten thousands of uh, podcasts downloaded, all the books that are there. And, and, uh, and people travel from you know, miles and miles around to the, the big mega church. And, and uh, it's like a kind of service station where they all fill up and then they go back to their own communities miles and miles away. And it could all be about that one man, if we're not careful. And... Uh, uh, you know, that, it's a challenge, isn't it, when, when that one person retires? And what does the future ministry look like? And that, I guess, will be always a challenge for the people like the, the Tim Kellers or the John Pipers or John MacArthur's, you name your kind of celebrity preacher, men of God who've done so much. But when that person goes, what happens to the church? Church is a team game. One thing that uh, I was really inspired by, I, I think I've shared, when last summer uh, the church very generously gave uh, Sally and me a sabbatical uh, to the States, and we had uh, five weeks in Washington, D.C., and I went back to a church that I used to work at 20-plus years ago, uh, led by someone called Mark Dever, who, again, has written loads of books, speaks at conferences. I was very impressed. For the first, I think, three weeks of us being there, Mark wasn't around, but it was absolutely not the Mark Dever show. Yeah, there were plenty of young men and women doing all sorts of things, serving in different kinds of ways. And I, I think, honestly, he could drop down dead tomorrow. And the church has planted like 15 churches in the 25 years he's been there. And you know, the gospel has totally taken root in Washington, D.C. as a result of his ministry. But not through empire building in one big place, but just plant, 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 revitalise, revitalise everywhere as a team. Gospel ministry is a team game. It's a challenge for smaller churches as well. That it's not just uh, big churches. Uh, the, the, the smaller churches can often be struck with a kind of one-man band model. And maybe some of you, maybe as a student, you've come from a bit of a smaller church. And it's all about the minister who does everything. And they're the, 
They're the judge, jury and executioner or the chief bottle washer, chef. Do the, they do the lot everywhere you go. They make the coffee, they, they, they play the piano, they preach the sermons, they visit people. Um, not quite so extreme. My father, as I'm sure some of you will know, was a pastor himself. And he found himself in the, his last church. Um, he was you know, preaching on the Sunday morning and he was the janitor at the end of the day. Take out all the bins and locking up the church as the last to leave every single week. And uh, a casual glance at Colossians 4 says... Gospel ministry is a team game. Sometimes you don't have many people, and so you have to do it all. But goodness me, we want to be a church where we are all involved in different ways. And you get a feel of that as you just read through the names in the the pages here. And uh, if this was just about Paul downloading his apostolic wisdom on the church, well, there's no way all these different people would be involved. But let's have a little look at a few things about the team that we see. I think we see it's a united team. Uh, there's a, a list of, of lots of different kinds of people. And if you think of the different divides that exist within communities, well, you get them united here in church. And that is one of the most beautiful things about church, where the society that is around us is so divided, so fractured. We pray, please, or would the church not be like that? But in the Colossian church, we see Jews and Gentiles, both part of the team. So in verses 10 to 11, can you see my fellow prisoner Aristarchus and Mark and Jesus Justice are referred to as the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Sadly, Paul's experience was what a lot of people find is when he was converted to Christ, his community turned their back on him. And he was on his own in many respects, but not with these guys. They helped him. They stood with him. And uh, they, they wanted to serve together as Jews for Jesus. And there were Gentiles for Jesus as well. So Epaphras, Luke and Demas, their Gentile names, verses 12 to 14, they're all labouring together. Which we don't really kind of understand, yes, so what Jews and Gentiles are working together. That was a huge deal. That was you know, 1960s uh, southern states of America, blacks and whites coming together. You can't imagine it. Yet they did in gospel churches here in the New Testament. You had the Jews who were the, the kind of the religious in crowd. They knew it all. They understood everything about it. The, the Gentiles, they were the kind of outsiders. Yet they were one together in Christ, part of the team. We also see men and women serving together as part of the team. Most of uh, Paul's colleagues were male, but not all of them. And uh, we read in Acts about uh, someone called Lydia. And in Romans, we meet people called Phoebe and Priscilla and Mary and Julia Philippians, we read famously of Euodia and Syntyche, and here in Colossians chapter 4, have a look down, at, I think it's in verse 15, we were told to greet Nympha and the church in her house. She had a home which she was using to bless the gospel ministry. And you may think, well, that's a bit kind of picky, you know, this, you know, compared with the number of men, there's hardly any women here. Well, let's just be careful that we don't do that thing that uh, C.S. Lewis said about being chronological snobs, where we looked at it and said, well, it's not up to our standard of equality, therefore it can't be right. In ancient times, the Bible times, women were not educated. They uh, were often, you know, had minimal access to uh, the, the opportunities that men had. Little Jewish boys were taught to pray when they were young. Blessed are you, O Lord my God, for not making me a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. That was what the little Jewish boys were taught to pray from year dot. And so, so we may feel, goodness me, Paul is incredibly sexist. Actually, he's incredibly radical, including not just men, but women in his team. And that's our conviction here at Highfields. 
I'm sure lots of you will be aware here at Highfields, we understand that the Bible limits the role of elder to biblically qualified men, uh, and therefore those who preach on Sundays. But we want women to have access to every other single respect of ministry across the church family, whether that's uh, life group leadership or uh, reading, praying on Sunday, serving in the deacon or the children or the youth work, teaching seminars to mixed sexes, evangelism, uh, discipleship, uh, apprenticeships, trainees, you know, we're thrilled to have seen lots and lots of men and women enter full-time ministry through Highfields, and we pray that that continues in the, in the years to come. So, team game. Jews, Gentiles, men, women, slave-free. That's another list of the divides that are united here in, in Colossians. Uh, most of Paul's associates were free, but there is an exception there. Did anyone spot the exception? There's a little name hidden away if you know your Bibles. Who, where's the exception? Can you see it? Anesimus, yeah, Colossians chapter 4, I've lost the platform, I've flipped over. Colossians 4, verse 9, former slave of Philemon, and we'll come back to him. Um, uh, but that was uh, the huge divide of the first century, again, slave free. But there's another divide that we often see in our uh, context, which is between what you might call the full time gospel worker and the secular employment person. I don't know if you've ever picked up, we were talking about this over lunch. You, you know, I remember years ago, some circles I moved in gave the impression that if you really love Jesus Christ, you needed to be in full-time paid gospel work. And if you weren't in that kind of role, then, yeah, it's, you're not quite on it with God. Now, don't get me wrong, I think we should have more people in full-time gospel work. We want to raise them up because there's a desperate need. And uh, some people need to do this full-time, but probably the majority of us aren't going to be doing that. We'll still continue to serve God. And uh, we don't know exactly what the educational or the, the, the kind of professional background of the, the colleagues of Paul uh, were. But we know that one time he had been a tent maker. And uh, we read in verse 14 about Luke, who's the doctor, serving God on the mission field by vocation, presumably. Seeking to heal people and then share the gospel with them. Uh, there's no pulling rank between the, the really spiritual full-timers and then those part-timers over there. The other thing you get as you think about the team that's, that's here is it was an affectionate team. There's real love in the team. I don't know if you pick that up as, as we read it. So Tychicus, we're told, um, is a dear brother. And so is Anesimus, a dear brother. Or Luke, a dear friend. And uh, behind those little adjectives, I think there's real love and intimacy and care. I think that's uh, why he's so willing to send Tychicus, a fellow minister, to encourage yeah, that would cost Paul a great deal. Yeah, it's not that, oh, yeah, have him. You can have him. Yeah, that's fine. I was chatting to a friend of mine about church planting the other day, and he had a line which was um, a, a word to the, the sending church. You're sending church and then you know, the, the planted church. And the line he said is, you know, he always says this to sending churches, if you won't miss them, we don't want them, which is a bit strong. But I get the point of it. It's not a case of, oh, yeah, you're, you're not really there. Just feel free, have them. No, you've got to miss them. These are people who, who we all want to be together. Don't we want to be family? We hate the idea of someone who we see all the time serving, giving, whatever. It's a team game and there's a great affection. And it took great humility for Paul to let people go. And to serve in other places. And uh, I think that does take something in you. When you, you hear God doing things and... I pray that a gospel work will begin sometime in the next year or so, we, we pray. And if we hear it doing well, we want to be saying, praise the Lord that that's happening. Not, 
oh, all the action's happening over there. We're kind of, it's a bit rubbish now. Like, all the, all the talk is there. We want to pray that God would bless that work as we pray that he would work here too. And the fact is, as we zoom out of this passage, gospel growth is a team game. If we are going to step on this scary pathway of uh, seeing a church planted or revitalised in the next uh, several months, it's going to take all of us. And uh, saying goodbye to some people will mean, as Michael was saying helpfully this morning, that others of us right now will need to step up. And uh, that has always been the case. We've always need people to serve. Obviously, praise God, we have quite a big staff at Highfields, but the vast majority of what takes place at Highfields is uh, volunteers serving the Lord Jesus on Sundays and midweek, whether they're teaching our young people or our children or discipling students or serving tea and coffee or, or cutting up bits of paper or opening or closing the church building or giving from the, the uh, resources that the Lord has blessed them. And as we say goodbye to some people, they will open up spaces to serve. To be perfectly honest, COVID has opened up spaces to serve because I think the vast majority of churches that I know of have seen, as COVID has happened and people have come back from COVID, the sense of people being prepared to stick themselves in and volunteer, that's gone down a little bit. And uh, I know certainly Joe and, and uh, in the youth ministry, we're constantly hearing we could do with more people serving 8s to 11s or Edge on Sunday or wherever it is and encourage you to get plugged into serving here at the church. So that's our first point. It's a longer point and we need to press on. So point one, spotlight on Paul. Gospel growth is a team game. Here's the second point, spotlight on Epaphras. Gospel growth demands prayer from afar as much as evangelism up close. Prayer from afar as much as evangelism up close. Gospel growth doesn't just happen in the same room. hope you know that. So... Uh, Here's Epaphras, he's in verse 12. I love this. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. So Epaphras is the guy who planted the Colossian church in the first place, but he's he's over in Rome with Paul right now. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Epaphras isn't interested in how many people came to that particular single event. Oh, we had loads came to that thing, or how many have prayed a prayer and have have said they want to follow Jesus. Yeah, that's great to see someone pray a prayer and begin to follow Jesus. He wants to see them continue. He wants them to grow as Christians throughout their lives. And that's a huge theme in the book of Colossians, maturing in Christ uh, together. And and Epaphras is always wrestling. Literally, the word is agonising. He's fighting himself to pray. I'm glad that Paul chose the word. He's agonising in prayer because I don't know how you find prayer, whether it's just as easy as anything. It's a fight for me. I I could do anything rather than pray for God's work. I I, I would come into my office sometimes early on Sunday morning and I, I could tidy my office. It's a mess all week and then I suddenly want to tidy it. Why? Because it stops me getting on my knees and praying. It's hard fight. And why wouldn't it be? Satan hates it when churches are planted and churches are growing. Don't be surprised when you find things hard because Satan is right up against you and you've got to fight and put on the arm of God and fight for it. And it's a crucial, crucial work. Epaphras was always doing it. He planted the church, yes. He didn't just forget about it. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand assured in the faith. 
Tim Chester, in his book, Everyday Church, says, prayer is not a support activity to mission. It is a front-line activity. I think that's a great line. We want to pray, don't we? People to come to Christ in this hostile world, that the ground would soften as the seeds go down. For people to press on and endure following Jesus, despite the pressure to give in. That will take nothing less than the sovereign intervention of our Heavenly Father, breaking into people's lives and And prayer calls on him to work in power. Uh, Earlier in the year, we were working through the Lord's Prayer. If you want to catch up on a bit of a motivator, why don't you re-listen to some of the Sunday evening messages on the Lord's Prayer and and pray that for yourself. I know there are people, pastor friends of mine who I've worked with in the past, who've told me that they pray for me every single day. I just think that's bewildering, someone I work for. He prays me every single day. Another person I was in the States last summer, I worked with him 20 plus years ago. He says he prays me every single Sunday morning on the drive to church. That is incredible commitment. Prays to me every single week. They pray for us all the time, by name. So, third or second point, spot on Epaphras. Gospel growth demands prayer from afar as much as evangelism up close. Well, here's our, um, there's the passage, here's our third point. Spotlight on Demas. Anyone can start well. And uh, I didn't really want to do this, but I think it's important to do it because his name is in the list. And he started really well. He was an ally of Paul. He was part of the team. There he is in Rome. And he sends greetings. And uh, 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 I think it's in in, in Colossians 4.14, Demas sends greetings. And in Philemon, verse 24, we're told, Demas, my fellow worker. Another New Testament letter. And then, in the last letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 8, Demas, and we can't believe it's anything else other than this Demas, says the following, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. And that's a verse that sends a chill down the spine of any Bible study leader, nexus leader, 20s leader, life group leader, youth leader. He started so well. And he wandered away. Not told it was spiritual doubt that led him to wander. Or a niggling disbelief that never got dealt with. Or whether he couldn't stand the heat or the pressure of being within the gospel team. But we are told it's because he loved this world. Literally, it's, he loved this age. He loved now. He loved this moment. And so he wandered away from Paul. Now, some passages, as you read, they really shake you up. And uh, certainly reading of Demas in the past has shaken me up. I think to myself, look, if Demas can get in the Bible as being a dear worker, a fellow worker, and then he can fall away. What's to stop Demas's story being my story? Could I fall away too? Huge question. Huge question. And the Bible actually speaks into the question. I spoke on that topic a few years ago and would happily point to you in the direction of the sermon if you'd like to chat afterwards. But suffice to say, let's just remind ourselves, it wasn't just Paul whose close friend once fell away. The Lord Jesus himself, at the first breaking of bread, which we will do shortly, broke bread with Judas Iscariot, who fell away. 
And the Bible makes it pretty clear. While Christians can't lose their salvation, I don't think anyone, Jesus says as much, doesn't he? No one can snatch my sheep from my hand. The gift of eternal life is an eternal gift. It doesn't come and go. That does not mean you can't think you're following Jesus or in some senses be following Jesus in a kind of Judas-like way or Redeemus-like way or even serve or teach, lead a study, lead a group and then wander away. And maybe we're here today and we know of individuals, friends perhaps, former colleagues. I can think of individuals, former pastor friends who were once preaching and because they loved this age have wandered away. And so if we come to the Bible and we ask the question, can I fall away? The Bible honestly doesn't give a straight yes or no answer. What the Bible says, when I say, can I fall away? The Bible comes back to me and says, don't. Don't do Ademus. So can I just urge you, as we uh, begin to land the plane, don't do Ademus. Take, take that warning of the 2 Timothy passage seriously. Beware where your love will lead you. Because it was his love that led him astray, wasn't it? It wasn't his head. It was his heart. His heart, whatever was going on in his head, his heart it loved this world. Beware where you place your loves. Beware where you invest your loves. Remember all those hours ago this morning where we were thinking about the things that we invest all our loves in and our energy in, the game, the relationship, the promotion, the kit. Investing my love here. Just be very cautious. Be very cautious. You can kindle love for things. You can kindle love for Jesus. As you read of Jesus... And you gather with his people and you sing his praises and you think about what he's done for you. And you pray to him and you talk to people about him. Just as you're kindling a friendship, you want to grow that friendship, you want to invest in it, invest it, invest it. Time, time, time. Beware where your love will lead you. Anyone can start. Well, that's our third point and here's... The fourth one, and with this we need to close. Learning from Onesimus and Mark, God is the God of the second chance. (laughs) The Demas story is not the only story here. We also get the story of Onesimus and Mark. Uh, Past sin needn't disqualify you. That was the story of Onesimus. He was a runaway slave from the book of Philemon, and he'd gone on the run, and while on the run, became a Christian. What do you do at that point? And... uh, in uh, Philemon, Paul writes to his owner, says, welcome him back. Seriously, just, just have him back. He's, he's, he's come to the Lord, you let him come back to you. Forgive him as Christ has forgiven him too. And uh, the fact is, it may be that you're here today and you feel like you're a bit of, a, bit of an estimate. You're on the run from God. But God's speaking to you and he's having a word with you. He wants you back and he'll have you back if you come back. Past sin needn't disqualify ministry. Disappointments needn't disqualify you either. And uh, that's Mark's story. Uh, Mark's story we see here in, um, well, I think I've got a reference here on the screen. Here's Mark, uh, Acts chapter 15, verse uh, 37. And and there there was basically a falling out between Paul and Barnabas. And and we can have a read of this. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark. It's the same Mark, we think, in Colossians 4. 
Barnabas wanted to take Mark with him, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Well, Mark, well, he failed, and Paul couldn't stand it. and said, I'm not working with him, but Barney... What an encouraging man Barney is, a son of encouragement. He just wants to welcome people in, even though they failed. He wants to have them on the team. But for Paul, Bar- uh, Mark is just a failure. Mark is uh, the not-so-useful, thank you very much, for what you've done. I'll happily do my ministry away from you. But how does he get described here, verse 10? My fellow prisoner Aristarchus, this is Colossians 4.10, our last reference. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Ah, maybe Paul's beginning to think differently about, uh, about Mark. And uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read, Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. How encouraging is that, friends? God is the God of the second chance. If Demas is a bit like a second Judas, it seems that Mark is a little bit like a second Peter. He failed his boss, he let the side down, and his boss had him back and welcomed him in. And I don't know, we're a large group tonight, and uh, I guess we're a whole range of different places in the picture. I could have said, look, there's the map, where do you see yourself? Where would you draw yourself on the map? And maybe you're somewhere on the Mark Demas spectrum. And you're thinking, you know, I'm halfway to being a Demas. I'm I'm feeling the pull of the world. And God wants to say to you, don't be a Demas. Be a Mark. Come back. He'll have you back. And he's got work to to give you to do. No one is too bad to be used by God. As we come back and say, Lord, forgive me. I need to be part of the team. I want to serve you. I've heard the call. I've heard we need to rescue people for eternity. I'm signing up. And the Lord says, yeah, I'll have you on the team. I'm not looking for perfection or for, for brilliance. Just willingness and readiness to go where you place me and to serve how I can. Gospel ministry, it's a team game. And so the big question, I guess, that the passage asks of us as we close is, what might your role be in gospel growth? Maybe it's an upfront role, it might be a behind the scenes role, it might be a serving here at the base camp, it might be getting out and serving the other side of town, wherever the Lord leads us in planning a new gospel work. There's work to be done, we need all of us in for people to be saved. Are you in? Let's have a moment of quiet and then I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. There are so many wonderful things that we, we've seen here this evening, but we pray, please, would we be those who know that whatever we have done, however much we fail, there is a place for us on the team as we come back. 
We thank you, Lord, that gospel ministry is a team game. We count it a great privilege to, to know you and to, to be invited onto the team. And just as those sailors threw themselves into the task and so many hundreds of thousands of men were rescued back in 1940, we pray, please, would there be a, a great rescue soon to occur here in Cardiff and the surrounding areas as we seek to send out the lifeboats and rescue men and women and boys and girls for eternity. Lord, there is work for us to do. There's work for us to do here. There's work for us to do in a church plant. There's work for us to do all over the world, Lord. May we have global perspectives on the great needs of the gospel in this world of yours. Help us to play our part. Thank you for your grace. And may we kindle our love for you as we pray and reflect over the part we might play in all this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.